The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC Norfolk Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. up you savages this is the protect your neck podcast and i am your host dan tom fight analyst and friendly face who you might see over at mmajunkie.com and mma junkie radio on this here show today we will be breaking down ufc norfolk uh but before that we will be tying up some loose ends briefly Briefly recapping uh, UFC 217, uh, there's been a lot of recap on it, as there should be, as we should have more, but also briefly recapping it, because yes, uh, you can find me at MMA Junkie Radio uh, five days a week. We, uh, I think we did, did a pretty good job. I think we did better at unpacking UFC 217 on, uh, on Junkie Radio than packing it. That's not the right word, but you get what I'm saying, right? Um, recapping it, I should say, you know, uh, unpacking, recapping, you get it. It's all the same thing. Dance as per normal, not, not very, uh, not very, uh, not very with it today with the sleep, uh, <clears throat> no drinks, but I am coffee deep and ready to rock. But, uh, yeah, just so uh, it's going to keep, just, I'm just going to try to keep it as, as brief as possible. Um, uh, Dan, you all say that you always run over. Okay. I, I'm, I'm promising this time. I'm promising. Uh, so essentially, the quick version of the recap uh, by the numbers went five and six in picks, man. First losing night in a minute. Um, but you know, I mean, it, with stack cards, I, we we should come to expect that. That's why I almost don't even want to put any um, parlay pieces up for those cards because again, you're essentially you know betting against really good fighters, even with the craziest trends going against them. Which uh, obviously, I'm talking about the main event. But as far as the parlay pieces go, we went one and one there. Um, one and one in uh, props as well. Um, I know one of the uh, parlay pieces off the top of that my head was uh, Walt Harris. Uh, you know, I, obviously I was, was pretty displeased in the sense of like the only two fights I had money on were the two fights with controversial endings, which also be happened to be refereed by poor Blake Grice, who I'm sure is a nice guy and a great ref. And uh, and by the way, I I, I did, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I clarified on Twitter uh, once it got sorted because it was it took took a little time to get sorted in, in, in real time and live. But uh, since then, and and even on Twitter, uh, night of I believe uh, I, I I agree with the calls for the record. Just just unfortunate, right? Just kind of unfortunate they had to end that way. Um, and uh, I I guess I won't get into too much more. Although I will say, as far as the calls, and you want to get a really good recap, um. One of our shows, I believe it was Wednesday's show. All these days kind of bleeding together. But uh, we had, yeah, Big John McCarthy Wednesday uh, Wednesday show this week. Uh, Big John McCarthy in studio. And he's one of the few guys, man, that kind of makes, you know, I was talking to Goes about this, you know. <clears throat> I'm not really wired to get starstruck. And, you know, from being an extreme couture or them, on, on the flip side, uh, you know, uh, Goes and George doing MMA Junkie Radio for 10 years, just dealing with... All these fighters, you kind of get, I don't want to say numb, like it's a negative, but I mean, you're not, you know, even if you are wired to be starstruck, you're not going to be 
you know, it's going to be, you know, toned down over the years, right? It's just human nature. But there are certain people where you're like, oh, man, that, that's the guy. And uh, McCarthy, ironically, though not a fighter, is one of those guys. Just because, you know, it's um, it's kind of so iconic and historic. And, uh, you know, so anytime I could, you know, relevantly or if it was, you know, appropriate uh, to what we were talking about, I would slip in a reference. I think we were talking about, you know, compassion and, and how, <clears throat> you know, he, McCarthy was saying he calls all the fights the same, but the execution of the calls kind of differ. You know, that that was obviously sparked off by the Coleman event talk with Rose and Ian Jacek where he did the kind of loose tap on the hip to stop it. You know, obviously it's a 115-pound woman. McCarthy's a big dude. He's kind of explaining to that, uh, you know, versus the flip side, allowing certain fights and certain people respect. And, uh, you know, you throw a reference out there and you kind of would see McCarthy would go back and kind of, you know. I, I always enjoy that. Guys with stories, when they go to tell their stories, you can almost see them click back in their eyes and, Maybe I'm just a weird, overly analytic dude, hence my position, but I, I, I always pick up on that, and I always enjoy that. I, mean, I always enjoy stories of, of, of people who have been there and people who are actually experienced in the shit. And uh, it was really cool whether you agree with McCarthy's views all the time or not. He's, he always, you know, uh, he's, not, he's, not, he's not afraid and always you know, does a good job of making a good argument and presenting, at least presenting some facts uh, and bringing things to light. Again, whether or not you agree, and I, I, I tend to agree with them more, more often than not. But uh, but neither here nor there. It was a really good show. I suggest you go listen to that again. Just like on this show can be found on iTunes. Uh, so can Junkie Radio, also Sirius XM ninety three uh, MMA Junkie Radio for MMA I should say forward slash radio. Kind of provides all the links on one page on how you can listen um, to that show. But uh, back on to this show and the plays that we had. Um, at hand, which again, of course, every week posted at MMAJunkie.com. We went uh, 0-1 on straight plays. I think the only straight play was... Shit, now I can't even think about it. Wow, wow, Dan, this is this is why... Uh, this is this is why you... Uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> and uh, uh, Fantasy Team 2-5. and five. Uh, Rose obviously hit. I was one of those picks, even though I was officially on J.J., uh, which, again, I'm not going to do revisionist history. I'm very happy for Rose. Uh, uh, but, you know, it was one of those things where, even though I was picking JJ, this, the path was there, you know, as far as her being sat down by strikes or taken down in her last four fights straight. Um, granted, I saw it more being, you know, if there was going to be an upset, it was going to be more on the submission side. Even if it was strikes, the strikes would lead into the submission side. But... But it wasn't that, and, and I was just as surprised as, as y'all were, and it, that was awesome, man. That was that was definitely one where you know you just don't mind being wrong on. Um, not that I really be mind being wrong on most of them, to be honest. But but as far as that range of emotion goes, how can you not be happy for Rose there? But uh, but yeah, uh, it, was, it was it was a really good card. Uh, you know, um, I, I definitely said slow your roll on best card ever or anything like that, and. Uh, just because of, I don't know, you know, I kind of explained on the show, so I won't get, get too into it, but both Madison Square Garden cars was very excited for for many reasons. Like, 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 like everyone, you know, listening to this probably was for, hey, I, I'm in the same boat with you. But maybe it's contrarian as Dan Tom, but, uh, but yeah, just, the, it just ended on weird notes. And again, I was a fan of Craig, uh, fan of McGregor, at least Cage Warriors McGregor, when he would come on through uh, MMA Junkie Radio, was, you know, at a certain point, one of the places you know, distributing Cage Warriors, giving guys like Connor an interview, 
uh, was where I discovered guys like Connor and um, and just to kind of see the you know gimmick shtick the I apologize for nothing and the, 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 the and just kind of over the top it was just like uh, you know just just like uh, the hip hop fan and Dan just being bummed out saying I'm not listening to anything past '99 because now it's just about that stupid Fifty Cent you could find me in the club. And, now it's just all these things all over again. Although I will say I'm still a sucker for these catchy songs. I don't mean a side tangent, but I think on the show we played that Florida song. Uh, I forget to my house or whatever, but I'm like I went to go find it on YouTube just because I wanted to hear it. And of course the music video pops up. Dude looks like Hajario Delima, like just like him. I'm like, oh shit, Hajario Delima. Anyways, um, if you if you feel me on that, uh, at me uh, at Dan Tom me on Twitter. But uh, yeah, yeah. Ah, Jesus, Dan. That's why you don't side tangent because then you just you just lose track of the, the fuck you were talking about. But um, my goodness, uh, New York. What was I talking about New York? Uh, picks, Rose. Oh yeah, money. Yeah, money. Sorry, money. Yeah. Um, just kind of ending on that note with the, uh, you know, with it with, you know, with the, the multi division champ, and again. But my favorite fighters are Randy Couture and BJ Penn. Obviously, you know, I, I don't want to say defensive of their records. It's not the right words, nor why the fuck should I or would I be defensive of anybody's record. It's not my record. Fuck. But uh, searching for the right words here. God, I should have alpha brain before this. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, so just to, you know, it, Granted, those guys got kind of give me title shots too. You can, you could, sure, you can make those technicalities in your argument. Sure, I'll give that. But Randy Couture and BJ Penn's record weren't, aren't too impressive looking for a reason. BJ's definitely for staying around too long. But aside from that, still didn't look that impressive, even in his quote unquote heyday. You know, that was something people pointed to is because those guys, you know, I'm not going to belabor this and get into my old tangent, but yeah, those guys took fights. Um, for the challenge, you know, and whatnot, and yeah, yeah, well, you know, they had contract disputes too, and this and that, I'm like, you know, it was a little bit slightly different, you know, BJ's contract disputes is because he couldn't fight anybody any place, any time, which is pretty understandable, but just kind of shows to how crazy slash awesome BJ was back then, and Randy's, though, he had his money in certain, you know, disputes and personal issues with Dana, there was at least always that kind of backup where he was still kind of foreshadowing things about likeness rights and the importance of uh, unions and this thing. I mean, Randy was kind of bringing to light these issues um, and, you know, uh, sidelining and icing part of his career, possibly costing one of my favorite fights that never happened of all time, Fedor Couture, plus all the fights that obviously could have happened um, in the UFC, which they had to move on and give... Uh, Nog and granted they tied that up pretty fast. It, didn't, it wasn't like it was that long or anything, but just still there was a lot. You know, time is precious at any time in your life, but especially when you were forty six or whatever when when Couture was. And you know, even guys like Tito Ortiz say what you will about Tito Ortiz. He was always one for fighters' rights and upping fighters' pay. And even these guys, you know, so all these guys that I just named three guys that run a very different gamut in personality, fighter type, history, timeline, weight class, all that. But there was those common threats to it, right? Whereas, I don't, I mean, don't get me wrong, and, and I'm sure, you know, Irish people will come at me about the charities that I hear that McGregor does, which is fucking good on him, awesome. 
Um, the times I met McGregor out here in Vegas before UFC 189, uh, he was always really kind. Uh, again, I'm not hating on him by any stretch, but come on, we don't see him taking time to up and fighters or spread the and you know I get the rising tide all you know rising tide you know lifts all boats and all that, but I see fighters that you know not should be because I don't think anybody should be hating on them, but. If anybody has a right to be hating on him, it's fighters in his division. And these are the ones kind of pointing that out, not McGregor. And even if he did, that's just kind of just pointing out an, an anecdote or, you know, a saying, I don't, I don't see what he's actually doing. And then, you know, the holding up of divisions and, you know, when you actually have contenders at lightweight and featherweight. And then, so yeah, then, you know, back to relevancy, 217, George St. Pierre doing the same thing. Now, again, the argument George Champier deserves to do it more than McGregor, even more so the argument going against me, which I agree. George Champier deserves to do it more than anybody in the history of timeline. It's George Champier. Look at his fucking resume. Um, you can, we can speculate all we want on any performance-enhancing drugs or anything like that. Nothing would surprise me at this point after everything we've been through in the last two years is in the MMA world. But he, he, his record is clean at the end of the day, as of right now. Excuse me. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, his record, you know, is, is clean as right now. We have to give the man his due. He proved like Dominic Cruz, he can be an outlier and come back after all that time. But believe me, I'm not trying to hate that shit. Is impressive, even though you know, if he didn't land the left hook, the momentum of the fight was swinging. And, and Bisping, who I don't want to, you know, hold over the fire and look bad because again, when guys, their dynamic of their game is takedowns. You know, Damian Maya, Colby Covington being an extreme version of it on both sides from Damian Maya's game to the way Colby Covington elected to just say, fuck striking defense, I'm worried about the takedowns. We see that, though. It, it makes any guys, strikers or non-strikers, look less of strikers to what they normally are. So I don't want to condemn Bisping too much, but he looked off to me, and, and, and George looked slow. Um, it I think it bodes badly for George's next fight. Maybe that's why he, you know... Even though he's kind of being a politician about it, which I, I don't appreciate, even though, you know, again, I just praise the guy because, again, you have to. But as far as how he handled the post-fight sidestepping like a politician, I don't appreciate that. And then he did a press conference apparently today. This is being recorded, by the way, Thursday night, as per usual. Trying to step him up earlier, too. We'll see. Um, as uh, The betting articles won't come out till Friday, but as I went on the last podcast, we're thinking about with Junkie releasing, kind of doing like, you know, Maybe like Monday or Tuesday, the main event, co-main event, Tuesday or one, uh, Wednesday. And then, of course, Thursday, the day where my breakdowns normally from the Mixed Martial Analyst days to the MMA Junkie days, it's always been Thursday. Um, the full breakdown will be Thursday, but the betting section will be its own thing on Friday. Kind of spreading out the content there, playing with ideas. Again, you talk, we listen, believe it or not. So um, if you have any constructive things or you just want to say, which, by the way, I appreciate, thank you for the shares, thank you for the app mentions, because it ties in what I was about to say here is vote with your dollars in that sense. You don't, we want to you know, go fake news and clickbait on everything, and something is deserving of criticism. I'm not going to say it's not, um, no matter what side, no matter what site, I get it. All I'm saying is be constructive, and not just be constructive, but if there's something you like, take the time. I'm trying to do a better job myself. I barely have time to sleep, as you can hear. <laughs> But no excuses. I, this is something that uh, I'm trying to practice as I preach here. 
But uh, so thank you first and foremost for all the kinds and at mentions for the the, the breakdowns um, and all that good stuff. But uh, but 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 yeah. Um, wow, wow, Dan. Speaking of no sleep, I, I I swear if I clock out and fall asleep, I would not be surprised. I think my brain is like showing me signs here of just kind of clicking off. But yeah. Um, but yeah, but back, back to the GSP thing. Um, yeah, it just you know, he has the. Uh, Oh yeah, sorry, being released today, the press conference today. That's where we're at. I'm gonna tie it up here. Don't worry, folks. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I guess he was kind of, you know, um, to put in French, comme ci, comme ça, about uh, still about how he, how he felt. Uh, you know, what, what's next for him, so to speak. Still feels obligated. It is in his contract. It was already stated, so he has to address it. And George is a nice guy, and he's an honest guy, so of course he's gonna address it. Um, but maybe he's, I'm just, what I guess I'm trying to say is maybe now he has a right to be reluctant because about what he's going to do next because he's a very objective guy. He's very smart. He goes back immediately to analyze his performances. Um, one of the many things I, 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 I love and appreciate about the uh, the, the game of, of, of GSP. And so I have to imagine, you know, you think he was picking and choosing his fights widely before by picking Bisping. I think he's going to do it even more so now, so... We'll see. Uh, we'll see who the, the popular kids pick to go to the high school dance with. My favorite part of MMA. I hope the sarcasm bleeds through there because it is my least favorite part of MMA. And I was happy to, even though have a losing night, had some. I had some uh, had some beers because, by the way, I went. I didn't go sober October because I didn't start till like the seventh of October. But uh, old Dan Tom um, cut out the fast food beer and sadly still have a fat fucking head. Uh, didn't lose any weight. Uh, granted, you can't you know, expect much when you don't work out and only doing a three-week type of cleanse period. But I was happy to finally take up uh, Coach Casey, uh, Casey Halstead, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. He recently came in with Cheeto Vera. And uh, he extended me an invitation to like this open mat here um, in Vegas. If you're ever in town, it's in Henderson, Nevada. Uh, Henderson, what? Not Las Vegas? Relax, folks. It's a little valley. Everything's pretty close out here. Um, and it was awesome, man. Uh, it was it was awesome. It was really really cool. Uh, a lot of a lot of the homies from Extreme Couture down there. It's a real community. It's not a territorial thing. You know, you guys. Uh, you know, Caraway, Cody McKenzie. Uh, um, pop in, you know, fighters. Uh, I was walking to get some water, and I had some guy like tackle my leg, and it was uh, Bristol Marunde, uh, who used to fight uh, UFC at middleweight. And uh, he's like, "Yeah, hey, get on the mat." I was like, oh, you cool. And I, I, you know, I, I, I suck, but I, I, you know, I suck on my best day, even when I was, you know, in competition. Uh, but I don't remember ever kind of, kind of going with uh, Bristol. So I'm like, "Why would this guy want to go with me?" And I'm like, "Oh." Oh, I get it. Oh, Dan Tom has gained fucking weight, and you are now a size-appropriate partner to a former UFC middleweight. Yes, that's when you know you fucking gained too much weight, folks. Former UFC middleweights are saying, hey, you're the size-appropriate guy. Come over here, kiddo. <laughs> and then he raped me. Uh, no, not literally. I can't, like, wait, I can't be saying that with all the fucking Weinstein and Louis C.K. shit floating around now. I can't be using that so liberally. They're going to think so. Bristol Monday, fucking gem of a human being, by the way. Good. Follow him. Check out his show. I'm really glad that guy's doing well post-fighting. You know, the options aren't much for those guys. So, uh, shouts, Bristol. Um, 
we, we, actually he was he was actually kind to me. He, he wasn't he, he was he was gentle. Could have been much worse. And uh, I went there actually with uh, my man uh, David Klonsky, who is in town from Canada. Man, <laughs> Dave Klonsky Kl- at Klonsky MMA. Um, great guy. I know Dave from the MMA community. You might have seen him on Fight Network. Uh, through you know he's, he's done a lot of work uh, with in conversations uh, through and uh, with Robin Black on and off uh, through Fight Network and off Fight Network uh, alone. Uh, he's a he's a PhD doctor. Sorry, Dave, I don't have the exact uh, your credentials in front of me, but he's a really smart guy. Comes from traditional martial arts, following MMA, so uh, I, a lot of similar uh, thought paths me and Dave share. And and was in town, and he was looking for a place to roll on a Sunday, and I said, you know what? Uh, I'll complain about being out of shape. I can get I get him I get invites from. Uh, you know, respectable coaches. I want to be respectful. So let's fucking let's let's kill three birds with 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 a uh, with a stone here and and get to work. So I'm I'm probably gonna go go do that again. It was really it was really awesome. So all right, um, I'm gonna push through. We're gonna go to UFC Norfolk, and I'll probably just do my break at the normal spot here um, for the prelims. Uh, if you've been listening, you already know this, but you know, first time listeners, kind of the order I'll go in. I'll try to push through whatever bullshit off the top not too much of a current event show here we'll go through the prelims from bottom to top break very quickly in the middle and if you are in a rush because again i tend to get these out not till thursday sadly and i'm gonna try to do it earlier again really trying here it's it's, it's tough i'm not gonna want to fucking i do enough complaining as it is i don't want to complain any further about schedule or hours or lack of uh time but yeah i'm trying to get these out earlier though uh, definitely excuses aside um but at the end uh i will recap all because sometimes it's hard to track um sometimes i fucking ramble um sometimes it's hard to track so at the very end of the podcast i will just kind of run through the picks fantasy picks plays avoids all that and more first though as i pull up these odds uh it's going to be going in the middleweight division Darren Stewart uh, making his drop down. You might have seen him uh, in the France Lamar Bahos fight. He fought him very quickly. It was a weird headbutt to TKO, got overturned. Then they had a rematch that went the distance that felt like 17 rounds instead of three because, yes, he was fighting France Lamar Bahos, the fighter that fucking steals time. The least favorite fighter, Dan Tom, likes to break down. Ugh. Anyway, sorry. Uh, but yeah, uh, Darren Stewart actually is the underdog here. I'll get by how much. It's actually growing. I think it was plus 185 um, the last time I looked, which is pretty surprising. This is, by the way, first fight on the avoids list, uh, the breakdown on MMAJunkie.com, which is what we'll be referencing here. Um, yeah, all right. <clears throat> yeah, Stewart's plus, still plus 185 and a minus 225, pretty high for Kyle Robertson. I mean, there's a lot to like as far as athletic potential. Uh, skilled kickboxer, although the 0-3 professional record will tell you different, although you kind of look at the names that are on there, guys like Remy Bojaski, uh, and, and and I don't have in front of me, but lesser known, but still kind of semi-known names uh, there for the Glory organization for his recent two, but still, there's real potential there. Um, did well as an amateur, trains with uh, talented guys up in Jersey, Nicotone MMA, if you trade Nicotone MMA, it means that's right. You're seeing guys like the Barbosas, the Edgars, and all uh, Corey Andersons, and all those dudes. So I have to imagine 
he is getting good training up there. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see too much of the grappling. A, there's not a lot of footage of any of us from kickboxing and MMA. B, his most recent uh, gig stint that landed him here, the Dana White looking for a fight. It was very quick. Not only was it very quick, uh, his opponent presses him against the fence, and he does very nice short elbows where you know where you kind of frame. Uh, I, was, I was explaining it uh, uh, last week for sure because that's one of Yoni and Jacek's main moves in the clinch. Framing with your forearms and doing those rapid fire in succession short elbows. Short but damaging. Short but powerful. And Robertson. I, I almost wanted to pick against this guy just because there's no fucking T. It's a robber son. So <laughs> it's not the lack of this lack of sleep allows me to slur many of my words, but I'm not slurring this one. It's how it's spelled. But no, uh, Carl. Tell Carl his brother is dead. Sorry, Die Hard 1988. Uh, Carl Robertson probably should win this fight. Although I, I'm not one of those guys that say, "Oh, if a line blows up this, I bet it out of principle." But shit, this one be one that I bet out of principle because. Uh, Darren Stewart could win this fight and test him on the ground, that, which would be good. I want to see this guy, Robertson, when he has on the ground. Uh, you know, Dar- you know, say what you about Francis Marbahos, he's very good at stifling, especially clinch, stifling takedowns. And you look at the first round of their, their rematch, I should say, uh, Darren Stewart hits a really nice reactionary shot. I mean, there's some real skill there. And if his speed and reactions have improved now that he's actually having to maybe be more disciplined now that he's fighting it the long talk he long talked about dropping to 185 you know it doesn't sound like it's something that's forced if it goes well he could maybe do better than you know uh suspected because again his main thing is striking though might not want to do that against robertson might want to test the aforementioned uh takedown game but yeah for those reasons alone it's a big stay away next one jake collier plus 200 underdog against marcel fortuna I like Marcel Fortuna, perhaps maybe a novelty light because of his Anthony Hamilton lied about his weight to get the fight, comes in as the most undersized heavyweight ever, and then just sleep trains the freight train Hamilton. Um, but as much as I liked him, I was real confident I had to pick against him in his last fight, um, uh, picking Jordan Johnson. Weird fucking post-fight interviews, that kid, man. Holy shit, I thought it was just the first one, but I was I, I rewatched that second one uh, when, in doing the stage study for this uh, this year card. Yeah, Jordan Johnson. Anyways, but um, still, nevertheless, uh, Fortuna showed some good things. He, he didn't shy away. Uh, there's some natural angles in his boxing. He kind of reminds me of like a light heavyweight Brian Ortega, where it's like there's so much unknowns, and he's still feeling out his game. But he's unabashed about it. Like he's okay with feeling and te- almost like he's testing and experimenting these things like live in action during his fights and and having some real successes in in moments of the fight too. Um, but you look at Jake Collier when he's on the ground, and that's where the the space uh, separates. You know, um, you know Collier. You know, when he's in stride, he throws some nice combinations to his credit, especially when his opponent's like in between the fence, inner black octagon lines, and Fortuna seems to circle in that neighborhood when fighting. So it's like you could see a path for Collier in that sense. But you know, even look at Jordan Johnson, who his whole game was corralling and pinning, and that was also not just his game, but the dynamic of the matchup of what he had to do to Fortuna had difficulty doing it in what was a a routing, you know unanimous decision win for him still had difficulty uh because you know again the angles and lateral movement deceptively well from fortuna 
So I think that's going to give Jake Collier problems. And even though I'm all four guys moving up in weight, and, and Jake Collier's a big dude, I don't doubt it when he said, you look at it, the pictures of him on the scale, 185, I don't doubt it when he said that cut was killing him. But it looked like, and again, maybe this is always kind of the first approach. You know, you all see guys, their first fight up, they're, they're, they're always kind of, it looks like they celebrate it, like they don't have to cut the weight. They look a little thicker than, I mean, obviously they're going to come in thicker, they're moving up in weight, but they still look a little thicker than they should. They celebrated it, right? Maybe that was the case, or maybe Collier's going back to his old ways because he was like a near 300-pound dude, which is what got him into the sport in the first place. But what I'm trying to say is he looks like one of those guys that puts on the garbage weight to go up, and that never really bodes well um, when we see guys just kind of celebrate and just celebrate and just put on some garbage weight and go up. And if that's the case, that's also not going to help him here. I have Fortuna... Um, was thinking about playing it, but then when I saw the line, and I don't imagine it's going to get any better as far as dropping. It's a little too high for my taste. Um, I stayed away from it. Uh, I, I this, the, the, this fight feels like the over, you know, minus 180 right now, one and a half feels about right. But, again, not, not juicy enough. Uh, not juicy enough to play straight up or in a part, you know, or risk a risk other legs and putting that in a potential parlay. So um, that fight is also on the fights to avoid list. Next up, Court McGee plus two thirty-five, Sean Strickland minus two seventy-five. I was looking at this one as a possible um, parlay piece, but I think that's more just. Um, you know, not just a, you know a, uh, appreciating uh, weird guys like Strickland's game, even though there's there's clear holes missing from it, but also kind of hearing guys like who you know obviously I'm a fan of through you know uh, when I was working at MMA latest and uh, shouts my, my man Jordan Killian over there who co-hosts with Sam Alvey at the Pound for Pound podcast. They've been on guests on this show a couple times before. Um. You know, but but you know, I hear Sam talk about the stuff you know he 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 does to guys in the gym. Strickland, that is Sean Strickland, and for what that's worth, and it's just you're just you know he is still young and he is still developing. So it's like I'm, I'm keeping a loose leash and cutting the kid slack. But now he's getting older, the years are stacking, and you want to see Strickland start putting these pieces together. Court McGee, in my opinion, you know. Could could very well have hit the dropout point from that TKO loss, where I was already suspecting it back then. Um, granted, it was to Ponzi, I believe, uh, but uh, you know, still, um, he's been rocked in his fight since, right? We saw him rocked by Dominic Steele, and uh, that Ben Saunders fight just got got, as predicted, you know, got ugly at points. Um, but. Um, in theory, Court McGee, though, a pressure-style guy, hard to take out, hard to submit, hard to take down, hard to take the spirit out of, right? Um, this could be very bad, uh, especially with the forward-moving wins fights, um, not trusting judges in MMA, especially when we're going to these, like, you know, you really have to... It's hard because we all hate and probably overly hate judging but we have to remind ourselves, especially if you're going to be a person who's going to be a degenerate and bet these fights that like, especially a degenerate like me who likes to bet decision props, um, that the decisions are going to be more likely to get worse when you go to these lesser regional shows. I mean, 
Let's just look a little north north of where this show took place at, or south. Oh my God, my geography is terrible right now. Um, Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. I mean, the classic. We'll talk about Diego Sanchez later. Classic Diego Sanchez versus Campman. You know, coming forward um, and just kind of rewarding that. So, you know, in other words, what I'm trying to say is I could see Sean Strickland thinking he's comfortably winning the fight and losing a close decision. Uh, so I... I, I Excuse me, I stayed away from it, but it didn't make my fights to avoid because I do feel that the line is about right. Like, as far as skill level and where these guys are at, um, the line feels about right. All right, next fight uh, is not on the avoid list, actually. It is one of the few times I put the prop piece for a... Or a, you know, what could be considered a prop for a, a parlay piece, but... Uh, most houses will let you parlay the over, so that is the one thing where I will allow myself from time to time if the line is right, and I feel like the line is, you know, right, not great, uh, but better than what I have it listed uh, this morning. Uh, that's when I use, I pull the odds no matter what my picks or when I broke it down throughout the week. Again, as stated in the breakdown, I'm All odds are pulled from the morning of uh, when the article's published for obvious fairness and obvious relevance, right? Um, so I had it minus 255, two and a half, which I felt was justified, especially in a, in a, in, you know, as most MMA cards are slim picking for parlay pieces because parlaying MMA is fucking a crazy man's thing. You should not be doing it in the first place. Neither here nor there. It's for entertainment purposes only. And I am a degenerate. And yes, of course, I always play what is listed. Um, but yeah, I have Hill Ansaroff here, and it's, it's, it's by the way, minus 240 now, time of this recording, uh, Thursday night. Um, I, you know, I just see it stylistically. Um, they're both talented. You know, Ansaroff, she's kind of more of the wild card because she shows fight-to-fight improvements as she should with the, you know, time in between fights. But it's that time in between fights that makes me wonder what where she's really at. And then even with her most recent fight, which was, you know, just a while ago, still beginning of the year, you know, it was a fighter that was kind of already checked out. Not to be a dick, always a fan of the live barger girls. You know, I, I hell, I fought on the same part. Uh, shit, she's retired now. My goodness. And I fought on the same card on her eh, 2011, tough enough. And, uh, and but yeah, man. I mean, like, so I'm not trying to be mean, but the, she was checked out. I mean, you saw in the fight. I mean, she, she, like, like when you're just like tired, when you're over it. Like I've been there in practice, but man, that was like a career accumulation right there. And uh, so it's it's hard to, you know, it's a dominant performance. I'm not trying to take away from Answer off there, but you know, as far as a measuring stick, you have to kind of take that into account. You know, the rustiness. Will there be rustiness coming back? Um. And also another factor is, as far as you know, betting that fights go over. Um, one is which doesn't apply here when fighters are on losing streaks. Because I'm like, okay, they're gonna have to. They're gonna be protecting. They're gonna be more worried to not lose. So we'll see like fighters who never go to decision paired with a stylistic matchup that just says fireworks all over it. But they're both on losing streaks, and what happens? They go to a fucking decision, right? Um, so that's something to take into account for, but for this fight, even though they're not on losing streaks, this fits in that similar theme in the previous mentioned example of importance. It's an important fight. 
for both of them. Um, again, it might be just like a bullshit card. You're just like, whatever about, and hey, I'm, hey, to each their own, right? But I, I'm just talking about as far as these girls' perspectives. It's an important fight for them. Um, so I, I actually see that this going over. They're both hard to finish. And, you know, Hill used to be able to at least be, you know, neutralized and maybe you could be produced to finish for, uh, when you put her down. But her positional awareness, even just like mid-scrambles, like just kind of re-swimming against Yoder uh, when she goes to take the back and stuff like that, like she's showing the improvements that we all suspect slash want slash she should be making at this point of her career and training with the people she does. You know, uh, if you're not over an American top team with that stable, the answer off is, well, you know, being in Southern California Alliance and all the girls that come through and having coaches like Eric Del Fiero and experienced guys to bounce off of, well, um, that's not too bad either. So um, the pick is Hill, but uh, no plays aside from the over. One of three recommended parlay pieces, which we'll get to the rest. Uh, next up, uh, Sage Northcutt, minus 70, and comeback on Michel. I was, uh, it's probably not even pronounced that way, but anytime I see, like, Michel Pajeres or anything spelled Michel, I uh, just do the deep instiller um, dodgeball. Um, comeback on Michel is plus 150. Um and that's what I played it for for half a unit because this is the first uh, uh, first of I think I have some other underdog picks the uh, first underdog pick uh, here though uh, thus far um, I have Quinones. Um you know not just like a oh, I hate non sage and I'm gonna fade sage which believe me I have I always you know you know Dan Tom always got to bump his chest on that Barbarina pick but uh, <laughs> but uh, but. But yeah, man, I, 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 I'm not trying to hate on the kid, and I appreciate traditional martial arts backgrounds, but I can also see, kind of see through him. And I wasn't quite as impressed with the way Sage has was translating it, nor has since. It almost feels like he's digressed in fights, especially when looking at, you know, his competition and what they've done since. Um, Mickey Gall is who I'm talking about, and then you look at that fight, and it just oof, makes you really uncomfortable, right? Um, but he's with Team Alpha Male. I expect him to be better. But even all the previous criticisms aside that, that I just said about Sage, um, even a good, well-established fighter, there's always a dangerous intangible when you switch camps. There's always that adjusting period that happens, which is a strong intangible, a reliable one alone. Um, so you factor that in. It, that alone is to make you stay away from at least playing Sage, even if you're picking them. And Quinones, uh, man, another thing here, Sage. I don't know how he makes fifty five. Like I'm, I'm waiting for him to like. He looked like sick uh, here in Vegas, and that that for when he made fifty five to fight Cody Fister, and uh, you know the open workouts, he wasn't doing too well after him. Like kind of was like really winded. Like, and he's only getting bigger. You know, fought at seventy, dabbled in seventy since then, right? And. I don't like it. He's growing. He's at the age where he should be growing. He's a future 170 pounder. So I don't like that. And what's crazy is Quinones maybe I don't think he's bigger, but he I would say he's close to being as big as Sage, which sounds crazy, but it's true. This guy was gigantic for a featherweight. Um even though he didn't look great because, you know, he had a granted he had a, a bad wake up, but which, you know, you oh, could be an excuse, but you know what? You look at the size of this guy. 
I, I bet all of his bad, all of his weight cuts to featherweight were bad weight cuts. Um, so it only makes sense that you get tired to a guy like Gordon, who I was really high on, and has proven you know me right for being high on him thus far, at least thus far. Um, and 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 I say that because not to you know, pat myself on the back or anything, but because you know the Gordon and Kinona's fight was put together twice, for, uh, just a, a little refresher, and um, I believe it was Gordon that got pulled or was deemed unfit or or something like that. So the fight got pulled and rebooked, but. It was is a bummer because you know Dan Tom complains about the UFC schedule and all these random fights. It feels like they're just filling. Um, this was one where it was like these were random dudes without name fighters, but I was excited just watching footage on it because um, just the potential both guys had in different styles. You have the you have the, the pressure pressure fighting, pressure boxing, wrestling base of Gordon, a prototype fighter that I really like. And then you have Quinones, who kind of hearkening back to the Sage thing, comes from the traditional karate base, and he has karate accolades, but he does a really good job in in in, in translating it when when he's not tired. That is, he can fight coming forward, he can counter from both stances, accurate that that counter cross, um, the question mark kind of missed to the kick, but still has that pop like a tie kick. Uh, the in and out, uh, you know, the jumping in and out of range, uh, this natural sense for distance management, all those check boxes you kind of see from you know these these karate slash traditional martial arts fighters um, making their way in. Um, except I think he does it much better than Sage. I think he's going to hurt Sage um, on the feet, to be honest. Um, especially considering that as good as Team Alpha Male, and they've proven me wrong um, as far as like. Being able to turn guys around like Guida and Elkins and bravo to them for doing it. And I'm wishing them the best right now, but they are in flux right now. The stuff with Justin Buckholds going on, you know, which uh, we ha- we also had him on the show. Go listen to that. I was I was listening to him live, and I was just thinking, I'm like, oh my god, this poor guy's fucking burnt out, man. Burnt the fuck out. He brought up some really good points, though. You really don't think about. Um, about having to always be at 100%. Now, you're not just courting and traveling the world week after week with these fighters, but you're always having to be like, this is the best week of our lives. This is up, you know, on the uppity up. Because it's true, you know, I don't have an extensive, I don't have an extensive experience as cornering guys, but I've cornered guys before, and I can tell you, and granted, this is kind of how I'm wired, which maybe says a lot, but also probably the reason what makes me a better coach than ever was a competitor. But I'm always very conscious to other people's feelings. And... It's easier to be conscious to someone's feelings when, again, not experience, not experience in a corner, nor as a competitor. But old Dan Tom has gone out and done it before, and um, and yeah, and just so it's it's easier to be sensitive when you know, kind of how that is. When you know you need everything to be positive, you felt things go wrong from not having uh, cut man to show up to wrap your hands or whatever crazy things pop up, not having gloves that don't fit whatever you know you need a mental psyche in the stable so when at least i'm cornering i'm trying to be conscious to be positive anything you know um even if it's not related to the fight it's it's very you know the mood the posture everything is really important because you need you need to cultivate that environment for your fighter um but yeah, anyways, I don't sorry, I don't know I got got on that side tangent. But uh yeah, Northcutt and and getting better there. But yeah, I mean, I, 
the names escape me, and so I don't mean to be disrespectful, but perhaps that kind of proves my point, right? If the names are escaping me, who, who there besides the old school name of Master Tong? You know, which I don't even know if he's there. Is he? I don't know. But uh, you know, as far as improving striking, right? Because you know, Campman left, Dwayne left. I don't know, man. I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for him. There's a lot of guys that I like there, and um, big fan of Chris Holdsworth. You know, not just sensitive to his story because you know it's a very similar story, and I feel like I can read between the lines a lot of his answers that that uh, not a lot of people could pick up on because it's it's, it's not very it's not you know it's, concussions aren't fun, man. Um, but uh, no, I know Chris Holdwork though from actually the local scene. He he fought on the same uh, scene, same organization, tough enough out here in Vegas. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I'm a fan of those guys. I'm not trying to hate on them by any means, but the things you have to think about in question. Um, but since this is only one of two dog picks, picks uh, I went ahead and played it for a half unit. Because why not? All right, next fight. Um, Viviana Pereira versus Tatiana Suarez. Pereira, the underdog, plus 250. Suarez, minus 300. This is on the fights to avoid. Suarez coming off an injury. I don't remember what it was or if it was specified. I went back and tracked the articles from then of to her return. Neither of the articles specify either. But I imagine whatever it is, she can come back from it. The girl came back from thyroid cancer. Uh, if you don't know Tatiana Suarez's story, grew up uh, wrestling, uh, accoladed wrestler, actually had prospects of uh, perhaps going to the Olympics and meddling before aforementioned thyroid cancer and life as it tends to happen, uh, went on to grappling and just very well grappling. I was confused with Ashley Yoder. She has that kind of, you know, spider monkey. That's Ashley Yoder's nickname, by the way. Spider monkey-like style. Uh, very aggressive, but, but she applies those wrestling-type levers, you know. Um, she doesn't have the drive, as you would think, the accolades would, would uh, suggest as far as finishing her shots, but she's a really good chain wrestler, so, uh, uh, Suarez is, and uh, that's how she scores most of her takedowns. Uh, but she's probably going to have to really work for it because Viviana Pereira, short, stout, low to the ground, strong hips, strong base, good balance. Um, looks like she's pretty hard to take down. So I, I, not that she won't be taken down, but I'm just saying things that I think about when when comparing these two ladies' games. But Suarez, once she gets girls to the ground, man, she does something that I love. She's a big user of the cradle to kill scrambles which I, I think should be done more of uh, <laughs> I remember having a little too much whiskey in me going off on a cradle tangent to Colby who was being nice <laughs> you, you know he was he's a good guy but it was uh, he was of course abstaining he was in, in training camp still for for, for Maya at the time at the uh, the thing but I was like Colby that random question <laughs> why the fuck aren't cradles used more and I also, any, anytime I, I can talk shop with a wrestler who has experience in MMA, I, I, I damn time fucking nerds out on, on, on technique talk. And uh, so when I see a girl like Suarez utilizing this kind of stuff uh, that even high level fighters are doing, you know, I'm, I'm very impressed. So uh, she should probably get the win here. Should show us more of Pereira's ground game, hopefully, because most of Pereira's fights are from regional to UFC. It's a lot of clinch. And of course, standing. So we'll see on the avoids list. Either way, I don't. 
I don't even like the over because I don't know. I I don't know. This Suarez makes it a fight. She's a she's a she's a wild woman. All right. Wow. I'm gonna knock on wood. We we never have this many fights. It's seven on the well, twelve to thirteen seems like a lot of fights. We'll see what happens on weigh-in day, aka lose a fight day. Knock on wood. But uh, headlining. The prelims on FS1. Marlon Marais, minus 110. John Don said minus 110. This is right. It should be a pick em. It, it It's crazy because both guys are used to having a speed advantage amongst their contemporaries um, at Bantamweight especially for Dotson. Um, but now they're facing like the, the two fastest guys in the division are facing each other, right? Those always things are, are always kind of weird when you have those kind of dynamics. It presents a strange intangible. I know, hot word. Um, when you when, when breaking down a matchup, uh, you have Dots in the southpaw who opportunistic. That's kind of his his game, but also his criticism, his curse, his blessing, because he often loses scorecards for not throwing enough, and he's still not really making those adjustments. Although I want to say I don't know if he verbalized it, but I want to say it feels like he did going into the last fight, but just couldn't quite do it. Granted, Wineland can be a difficult guy to fight. Um, that was the UFC Nashville card. Um, but I'm a big fan of Marlon Moraes. I was real high on him even against the Sunset, which was dangerous as a UFC debutante. I did feel he won the fight, and rewatching it, it was, it was closer than I, I, I remember. Though you still make the argument, I'm not trying to cry over spilt milk. Just, just recapping the the uh, most recent Moraes fights. But I'm a real big fan of him from watching him outside in the WSOF and in regional fights. Uh, Again, trains that New Jersey connection out there. Alvarez, Edgar, one of the main training partners with Edgar, by the way, which probably explains why he scrambles so well. Which probably explains why if it's fights are happening on the ground, it's usually on his terms. Uh, but Marais, of course, loves to do it on the feet. One of the best kickers comes from the same uh, group with Edson Barbosa training, like from young young age. Uh, fuck, I think I had it last time I broke down Marais. If I don't have that note, those notes in front of me um, right now. And don't really feel like pulling up to it, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, he's a really good kicker. <laughs> what I'm trying to say, he's really accurate. Um, his best kicks, obviously, are the power kick from the rear power side, which is open facing the open stance pairing when facing a southpaw. Furthermore, it's a symbiotic arsenal as his best punch is his left hook. Obviously, the left hook feeds the right kick, right? The right kick feeds the left hook as far as presenting a counterbalance and or a check to recover from a thrown kick. Um, more importantly, when you throw those kicks, you make the opponent block, which can break their arm, which is more common than we realize or fracture it, and or take away power from the shot coming back, which is pretty smart considering that the left hand is Dotson's most dangerous threat. His, you know, aside from a flying knee, is only, his only you know, real knockout threat. And, uh, again, blessing curse being an opportunist, you take away that weapon. Boy, you just took away big percentage points. You just shifted a lot of weight in the scale of percentages in your favor. Uh, I have to imagine Marias does that because he does that in every fight regardless. I imagine he's going to do it in a fight that calls for it. Um, Marias can, can, can surprise, and maybe he might, to hedge his bets because he needs a win and kind of realizing how things work in the UFC. You have to hedge your bets and take every opportunity possible. Still, that being said, I give a takedown edge to Dotson, who's not 
so much known for it. But if you look, he when he does shoot his takedowns, it's usually at the end of the rounds, a la Jackson Wink game plan strategy, kind of win the round at the end. It's usually in that spirit, um, which is fine. It scores. It, it it can win rounds. So that is a threat for that I uh, have in Dotson's favor. Could be worth watching. Four, but say no more because on that beat we are going to take a break and when we come back we will unpack the main card of UFC Norfolk right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast Cucarachas enojadas Right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for the UFC Norfolk Breakdown. Uh, real quickly, before we hit the main card, just want to add that the final official fight on the Fights to Avoid list was uh, was Marais and Dotson. And uh, Kinona as the underdog pick was also an underdog selection for uh, this week's DraftKings roster. He came in at 7000 $700, which is a, a fairly cheap price uh, for a guy that could produce uh, some points, and that price can also open up more expensive options. All right, uh, first fight on the main card. Kicking it off, of course, the best division to kick off a card, which is why they usually do it. The lightweight division, Clay Guida, minus 120 favorite versus Joe Lozon, plus 100. Um Diehard Lozon fan. Well, if you're a diehard fan, why don't you pick him, you asshole? I know. I feel fucking guilty for not picking him. Believe me. Um, but the dynamic of this matchup's clear, folks. We know we know Guida's game. We know Lozon's game. Lozon is the more potent finisher on the feet and on the floor, but he fades after the first round, uh, generally. Um, and this conservative game can produce weird fights. Uh, but those have to be fights where he has a clear boxing and or wrestling advantage. He will have, should have a boxing advantage, but not by much, especially considering that not only Guida has oddly been showing his best striking in what is the winter of his career, but, uh, he too is go-to punches, the left hooks, which will naturally create for some 50, 50 exchanges here. a la Guida with Benson Henderson. Although that actually, would, which is funny because they actually, they weren't even in the stands to do that. I got to rewatch to see how that happened. Anyways, you know what I'm saying. Um, and, but the dynamics are pretty clear because Guida, you know, most known for his cardio and submission defense. So he will have the wrestling edge against Lozon, who's no slouch. He's underrated there. He has improved over the years, but uh, given what Guida shows he can still do, granted Coke, not the best defender of takedowns. Uh, saying that, but Guida's just still showing he has that to him. I imagine he's going to get some takedowns. It's going to be some fun scrambles, which could lead for some more takedowns, which will make Guida a a high-scoring DraftKings pick, whether you, you pick him or are playing him in the real world, in the fantasy world. Guida could score you a lot. He's $8,100, uh, reasonable, uh, especially with the way DraftKings kind of awards takedowns uh, now. Right, so you go do the math on a Guida, you know, what he averages for takedowns, and now you do the math under the, the 
uh, more recent criteria here. Um, yeah, it's a lot of potential there. Uh, and uh, Guida also is uh, one of two props. I took him by decision plus 175 uh, quarter unit. Um, I will see what it's at now. But yeah, I feel feel very guilty picking and playing against my man Joey Jojo Lozon. Ah, uh, Joey Jojo. Sorry, that was uh, Barney Gumble. Joey Jojo Shabadoo. Ah, it's the worst name ever. Um, Simpsons reference. You know me. Sorry for the stumbling air. Not quite dead air, but stumbling air. Uh, Guida decision still the same price. Huh. What do you know? All right. Um, next fight is uh, Matthew Lopez versus Rafael Asensio. I was looking for a reason to, to, to play Lopez here. I'm a big fan of Lopez. He was a recommended uh, parlay piece um, last, uh, last time out against Johnny Eduardo. And... Um, but man, uh, Rafael Sunsau criminally underrated, and it wasn't uh, overcorrecting the steering wheel because I picked against him. I knew who I was, I knew who I was picking against last time. I'm a fan of a Sunsau. He's super, super underrated, man. The guy's got you know, wins over Jorge Masvidal and Jojo Lozano, or at least fought them, I believe. I, 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 my memory is shoddy, but he's 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 been around. You know, fought as high as 155. Now bantamweight. But he's a 35-year-old bantamweight. Still, he's, you know, coming in in great shape. Probably the best shape of, of his career post-USADA. Um, still looking still looking good. Still looking sharp. The bottom has not yet dropped out, so I can't play against him off that basis. And on paper, he should be able to counter Lopez, who's shifting and aggressive style by nature. Um, make him open for counters. Uh don't have it in front of me. I'm trying to pull up what his record is uh, against Southpaw as a Sun South because uh, Lopez does fight out of the Southpaw stance. Now, this dynamic of the matchup does remind me of TJ Dillashaw uh, versus a Sun South in their first fight. You know, you, you got the talented, skilled wrestler who's putting his game together. He's definitely not a finished product, but he's still in that, that, that metamorphosis phase. We don't know what's going to come out the other end yet. And he's getting a major step up in competition uh, against Rafael Sunsau. I mean, the dynamic is so similar here. Like, the stage is set where like it could be a breakout performance from Lopez. I don't see it. Um, I do see his trends of fight-to-fight improvements happening. I hope they continue to happen, but I don't see it being a super dramatic uptake. Is it possible? Yeah, sure, shit is possible. Um. Lopez is a gamer. He's athletic and he's a bred fighter. He's got that. He's got the genes. That's for sure. Uh, you saw it. I mean, as as bad as it looked by getting, you know, just not bad. Gagnon's talented, but as bad as in just in a literal sense, he almost got stopped and he took a bunch of shots by Gagnon. It's you could also take the perspective as as impressive as it was to keep his head in the game and the veteran things he was doing to recover, re-swimming in for singles to protect his head, although didn't do the best job of it. But his head was in the right place. In, in a not so literal sense, right? Um, and he, he made it through and, and ended up winning that fight. So, I mean, it, it's it's all on perspective here. Um, a lot of upside to Lopez. I just couldn't couldn't pick him here. But for that reason, um, I did pick him uh, for the DraftKings roster. He is one of the lower-priced people as far as the whole roster goes, lowest on my roster, $6,900. 
because again, the dynamic of this matchup calls for him to do a takedown heavy game. Uh, Rafael Sansad defends good off the cage, but in the open, if you, he he can be timed. Now he's good at scrambling back to his feet, but but Lopez is not just a good scrambler, but he's a sellout scrambler. He will sell out for shit. I, it's cost him, cost him against the Yaya fight, right? Overtired himself by having to fight out of needlessly elaborate, needlessly fight out of bad positions when he didn't have to, just kind of uh, making certain choices there, and um, and, and yeah, you know. So, he, but but that being said, it. I, I, I like him scrambling and testing where Sun Sal's ground game's at here. I mean, Sun Sal's a good scrambler. He always has been, but if you look at it as he's gotten older in recent years, most of the times Sun Sal's scrambling or hustling even, it's 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 in a defensive effort. It's to thwart off what a guy's doing. He seems to be reserving his energy um, as years go on, you know, and he's got the veteran savvy to do so, you know, he, he's able to win rounds without, you know, landing more strikes. I mean, that's, that's not a surprising thing. That's, in fact, it's a, a dare say pattern. Um, if you actually go back and put the numbers to the performances. Uh, so, so yeah, he earned a spot on there, but, uh, but no plays for me. All right. Um, I was looking up something, but whatever. Uh, fuck it. I don't think it was that much of a telling record, the Southpaw one anyways. It's listed on MMAJunkie.com, though, because, of course, I list um, how many times these guys have been dropped in their fights, their records against Southpaws, uh, proclivities, tendencies, all that stuff. All that fun stuff. Go check it out. Um, middleweight fight, Nate Marquardt, Cesar Fajeda. Let's look at the line there. Nate Marquardt plus 245, 245, Cesar Fajeda, 290. I'm not going to lie. My initial instinct was to play Fajeda here, but the number's too high for a guy that can ultimately get clicked off. I mean, Fajeda showed improvements in his defense and overall game, which has minimized him getting clicked off in his last couple fights, win or lose, which I thought he won the last fight. Kind of, I thought it was 29-28, but I actually think you could make an argument for all three rounds. I don't think I didn't score it that way, but just the fact that you can make an argument for all three rounds and still Elias got the decision, neither here nor there. Um, I do think that should be factored in, though, with the way our narratives tend to sway. You're only as good as your last fight. Be careful about doing that here. There's a lot to like about Fajita's improvements and renaissance, I dare say, he's had since moving um, shop to MMA Masters in South Florida. Marquardt still under the care of Trevor Whitman at... Um, Former grudge, now Genesis Training Center, I believe. Um, but yeah, man, Marquardt has a has a pretty bad damage trend too. Probably worse than what shows on paper as far as how much times he's been actually dropped or stopped. Because even if he's not getting dropped or stopped, I mean, he's getting tagged up and almost looking demoralized in some fights. Although I will say, Marquardt looked looked better despite losing in what was a close fight that. You can definitely, another, you know, again, I wouldn't have had a problem if they actually scored that from Marquardt in retrospect. It was that close of a fight. But regardless of the scorecard and outcome, Marquardt looked better than emotionally, spiritually, and even by the numbers looked better than he has in recent recent performances. So there could be something there. More importantly, not just the fact that circling back to Cesar Fajardo's possibility of getting clicked off 
where he has been clicked off, stifled, and just tagged straight up uh, consistently has been counter right hands. Counter right hand, especially in Nate Marquardt's later years where he's not as confident and bullying forward as he used to, Nate Marquardt's counter right hand is his be- has been his best punch in recent years. You know, it's what he got CB with. Um, and, uh, you know, he's hit, he's hit a lot of guys, whether you stopped him or won the fights, regardless. He's he's really leaned on that. So there there's definitely a path there for Nate. But uh, I see Fajeda actually having a wrestling, possibly having a wrestling advantage here, whether he elects to do it defensively and thwart Nate's takedown attempts or, you know, try to take him down further. But, yeah. I'm going to move on to the next fight. Any of these details I'm missing, and like I said, with stats, please, please go go, go check it out in the breakdown. Um so I feel less bad about scheming or missing stuff intentionally or not on here. Next fight, Andre Arlovsky, plus 270, Junior Albini, minus 330. It's heavyweight fights. But, you know, but by nature, you know, you shouldn't be playing these, much less ever, ever put them in your parlay pieces. But Junior Albini is a parlay piece. That's right. He was actually a parlay piece at a higher price, too, at minus 345, as we listed for in the breakdown. But again, he's minus... Uh, he he's minus three thirty thirty now, um, but it's for a reason, man. Uh, the dude's good. He's been fighting for a minute, you know, for about six years. It's been training, you know, life, having kids, being poor, having training coaches, you know, abandon him. <laughs> uh, yeah, shit, life happened to this guy, which kind of stunted his ascension. But there's a lot of natural talent in there. The way he moves in and out. Uh, the way he angles off, throws his hooks, his awareness. He's a lighter guy in there. You know Danton loves heavyweights who apply the techniques of a lighter man. You know, It always goes back to Mike Tyson for me. Um, and that was his philosophy. That was what probably made him successful early on as you know, a smaller heavyweight, 217 pounds, I believe, in his fighting prime. But yeah, um, Albini uh, definitely hit different weights. I, um, he... Hopefully, we'll continue the trend of coming in more trim. Now that hopefully is more money and more training, uh, you know, training opportunities appear. But I had imagine those opportunities will look good because you know it, it doesn't look good for Arlovsky. Five fight losing streak or so he's on right now. Um, boy, Dan, you should know that. And more importantly, he's been dropped or stopped in six of his last seven fights. That's the important stop, stat. Six of his last seven fights. Yeah, five-fight losing streak. My goodness. Um, and I see that going, you know, similar here. Uh, just like the last fight with Tybura, he's facing a guy who is not just strong in the clinch with a good base and balance, but has the similar proclivities to hit the outside trip and probably does it better than Arlovsky does. And more importantly, he's better on the ground. Um, accoladed brown belt, I believe, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, as well as uh, purple belt, I believe, in Luta Libre Albini is. Uh, baby Albini. Uh, I always think of that. Ninja Turtle Secret of the Ooze. The babies! I was just hear Shredder yelling that when I just see Albini. Uh, looks like a big baby. But anyways, the dude, the dude can bang, though. I see him getting it done here. I see him knocking him out at the end of the first round. Um, on the feet or on the floor, not sure. But yeah, Albini is a parlay piece. And he is also a fantasy MMA player for me. 
8,900. Uh, he will likely earn his keep here. Contribute. Possibly score a takedown in the process, too, so get those, get those bonus points aside from the other early finish. We'll see. And I feel bad, you know, being so... Uh, openly rooting against Orlovsky. Because Orlovsky's one of the first guys, man, that old Dan Tom would get into it. I remember watching those... I don't even think they were the UFC countdown shows. What were they called? All Access or whatever with the Raquel Leah girl. And I remember like I remember watching that, like Orlovsky having steak and eggs in Chicago, and I'm like just, just watching this dude. I was like, oh, who's this guy? Because I think one of the... one of the, for the first time I saw him was actually... Um, I did like a little staycation... For, uh, construction company I worked for uh, we had a uh, our, our Christmas our Christmas party or something like that some kind of work party function party at, at the Paris Hotel here in uh, Las Vegas and we had blocked discount rates for rooms and, you know Dan Tom had a girlfriend at the time and Dan Tom still lived at home at the time so I was like fuck it we're getting we're getting a place and uh, I think we stayed for a night or two, and one of the nights was, um, and I believe that might have been going down in Vegas, just down the way too, was uh, Orlovsky versus Tim Sylvia, uh, where Orlovsky hit the leg lock. And I was like, who is this fucking savage dude? Because he has like the wild fucking, you know, long, fluffy mullet, uh, early 90s hair, even though it wasn't the early 90s, but he just had that hair about him, Orlovsky did, and Tim Sylvia's big, goofy ass. I'm like, what is this? And uh, yeah, I remember that being... Some of the first UFC I remember watching, and uh, always been been a fan of Orlovsky since, and was rooting for him to do well in his resurgence. But that resurgence seems to be over. You know that the writing on the wall seems pretty damn legible. So it is uh it is sad, but but it is true. So let's go to the co-main event for another 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 trip down nostalgia memory lane there, because it's Matt Brown who I guess up till today now that I'm reading, I guess he's backtracking a bit. As fighters always do, but they usually at least retire for a month before they backtrack on it. Matt Brown fucking hadn't made it through fight week, and apparently he's already retracted on it. I don't know. I got to go look into it. Don't quote me. Matt Brown, though, is the minus 355 favorite over Diego Sanchez, plus 295. What? Plus 330 and a Matt Brown being a favorite? Wow, Dan, last time you Brown was that big of a favorite, you bet on him as a parlay piece. And last time was uh, against Jake Ellenberger, and look what happened there. I know, I know, and I'm doing it again. I did it at 350. This is one of the lines that um, actually has gone up since, since since this morning, which I guess isn't surprising when you look at Diego Sanchez's damage trend, which I'll pull up right now. Listed on MMAJunkie.com, my breakdown. Yeah, uh, Diego's been dropped or stopped in three of his last six, but, I mean, he's been hurt, dropped or stopped in like nine of his last 12 is the other stat that's not listed on there folks i mean it's bad i mean you just go back to his fight against fights his back-to-back fights against bj penn and, and john hathaway where he got dropped and almost stopped changed his life diego sanchez has never been the same since then because you people forget before that he was a monster i mean he was the guys that was taking out the aka guys the fitch and cost checks granted there was a staff infection or i believe a caveat to one of those fights you know or there but um, but yeah, Sanchez was a killer, and it just kind of you know I don't think the, going back to Walter Wade's bad, especially for his brain. But I don't know if he's going to return to that old killer form like he thinks he's going to. Much less think he can. He thinks he can take better shots, which is bad. It's like Diego. Does that mean you're planning on taking shots? Because you don't take shots the same way, man. 
And uh, especially those right hands, Brown's best shot, you know, and a fight that's probably going to see its way into the clinch. Um, that's where Diego's been getting hurt, you know. You look at his fights, uh, Joe Lozon, and, and other fights too, he's been getting clipped there a lot. He's been getting re really bad in the clinch. And obviously, like a butcher, using his elbows as knives, Brown makes his money in there, slicing it whatever you leave open. Fucking uses every angle available. Um, for that reason, I see Brown getting it done. I, I see him getting it done in the second round, maybe even the first, but he is a recommended parlay piece. And the prop I actually took won't start round three for minus 133. Um, I believe inside the distance is minus 150, and by TKO is like, was around minus 120. I chose to go in the middle because that covers um, a rare submission which Brown would, will go for. Don't put it past him to go for one, though. Diego Sanchez is grappling super underrated. Um, but if he hurts Diego, like, he probably will. You know, if he grabs a submission up. Uh, if there's a weird DQ or something like we've seen, right, kind of hedges that out, um, hedges the TKO, hedges the inside of the distance, um, and then also hedges a Diego Sanchez upset because not only is he an underrated grappler who I could actually see him taking the back and that being a strategy and opening that comes for him uh, in this fight against Brown, but on the feet striking, his most strongest shot is that left high kick in it against Robbie Lawler, Ellenberger, Cerrone where he got put out in his last fight. I mean, the left high kick is there because A, Brown keeps his hands low, almost like you know, you almost look at it because he all, he he kept his hands high. I went back and watched early fights, and by the way, holy shit, yeah, I, I did go back and rewatch that Pete Sell versus Matt Brown fight. My goodness, that 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 would have been um that would have made my top five list if I rewatched that. I forgot all about that fight for top five worst stoppages. But you go back and watch Brown's early career; he was putting his hands up more, and after kind of the body shot stuff being exposed, and maybe a little before it, because he knew he would keep his kind of hands lower. Uh, on purpose, you know, lesser of two evil approach possibly, who knows, but that coupled with the fact that he kind of dips to his right, he dips to his power side, um, those kicks from the southpaw stance are going to be extra brutal, any left kicks, you know, kind of the check left kicks that uh, Cerrone put him out with, all those are going to be brutal, and uh, so if Sanchez hits a Hail Mary, um, I, I think it'll if he does hit any kind of Hail Mary through submission or strike, Sanchez's will happen before round three. So I just felt like that was kind of an, an angle. Uh, it, it's a prop bet on MMA. In a fight that involving Matt Brown and Diego Sanchez, there is no safe bet. But for Dan Thomas, seemingly doubling down on it, seemed like a sensible, creative angle, possibly even hedging angle to the parlay piece that is Matt Brown. And yes, Matt Brown, though, he is the most expensive member on DraftKings at $9,400. Um, again, like I just said, I feel like he produces the finish and earns his keep on your roster. Uh, all right, last fight, main event, Poirier versus whole time Pettis, Anthony Pettis. Pettis minus one twenty favorite, Dustin Poirier plus one hundred. I had trouble picking this one at first, man, because I I'm not gonna lie. Maybe the reason why I had trouble is because. I initially came in leaning toward Pettis. He has more paths to victory. Very underrated grappler. Durable chin. Underrated fight spirit. The guy is not a quitter. Anthony Pettis can, can fight through adversity. You know, he's shown in that Charles Oliveira fight said a lot to me. Um, I don't blame him for crumbling under um, Max Holloway. That seems like what everybody does, right? Um, 
so you look at that and, you know, Poirier, you know, people, you know, he's, he's awesome. He keeps improving. Who doesn't love watching a Dustin Poirier fight? But the one criticism, valid or not, people point to the chin. Something you do have to look at it and at the very least consider whether you think it's an issue or not, right? And uh, so for that, it make you nervous as it should be. It's a gunfight no matter how you cut it. You shouldn't play it, unlike me, who played Dustin Poirier for uh, a quarter or a half unit, but the, the number is plus 100. That I do know. Um, because essentially this, you know, I see if he if he can survive the first round and the big shots by Pettis, I don't want to say early storm because Pettis isn't so much of an early storm type fighter. And again, he's not the type where he's going to be, his confidence is going to break either. But if you survive early and you can kind of enforce your game, he can be on a he can find himself on a negative cruise control, you know, the wrong side of pressure. And Poirier's game is based around pressure. He does his best work when his opposition is between the fence and inner black octagon lines, the same space Anthony Pettis uh, tends to operate from. Um, now Pettis has shown a pressure. In fact, he does his best when pressuring. You know, so you look at his fight with Jim Miller because Jim Miller will do both. Unfortunately for Jim Miller, he elected to do his game plan of I'm going to circle the outside and look to abuse the inside angle left counter cross, which I don't blame him. It's a good shot for Jim, but it wasn't a good game plan for him against Pettis. And Pettis was more than happy to oblige on pressure. I don't think it'll be as easy for him here, not only because... Poirier is the aggressor, the initiator often. He'll kind of sit back for the first, like, 30 to 45 seconds every every fight. But win, lose, no matter the threat waiting for him, Poirier is a savage, man. He's a, he's a fighter. He finds his way to get into that pocket and start coming forward. And uh, he'll, he'll shift his stances up. His angle awareness has gotten way better. And same with his defense in general. Movement, all-around all movement. And, but just his angle awareness and his footwork since... Since since committing moving over to American Top Team full time, because so before I believe it was kind of just a vocational thing, because he originally was hailing from Louisiana. Um, but yeah, uh, and 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 I also think that even though, again, underrated wrestler Pettis is, uh, Poirier's wrestling's improved too, and I would not be surprised when he's feeling in stride and the guy get, goes to the, the fence like Pettis often does. He ain't shy. He'll, he'll he'll hit a takedown there. So, you know, in a five-round fight, you should want to be on a side fantasy-wise. Uh, he's the guy that puts out more punches. Um, I also see him being in a more advantageous spot, both positionally, technically, and rhythmically in the fight to throw and land more punches. Again, like I just said, as well as possibly mixing in takedowns, scoring you points, earning Poirier spotted what is a reasonable $8,000 for the DraftKings portion of it. And yes, playing him straight up. He beat me. Straight up. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Sorry, I'm not going to fucking brutal you with my Teddy KGB rounders impersonations. But uh, but yeah, um, not much more to say on that because I'm sure I missed shit on that. But whatever I missed, you can go check it out for yourself. Um, on MMAJunkie.com oh yeah uh, Poye or Pettis' record against Southpaws he's 2-1 and one against South, UFC Southpaws for what that's worth alright recap fantasy team top to bottom Matt Brown uh, $9,400 uh, $9, Junior Albini uh, 
Next up after next most expensive after that, eight thousand nine hundred. Clay Guida, eight thousand one hundred. Dustin Poirier, eight thousand. Michel Quinones, seven thousand seven hundred. Matthew Lopez, six thousand nine hundred dollars. That's Lopez, by the way. Don't let my fucker fucking around. Screw you around. On the avoids list, Stewart versus Robertson. Pejeda versus Suarez. Fortuna versus Collier. Marais versus Dotson. Props. Guida by decision, plus 175 quarter unit. Brown, Sanchez. Won't see round three, minus 133 at one unit. Parlay pieces recommended. Matt Brown, minus 350. Junior Albini, minus 340. Hill Ansaroff over two and a half minus two fifty five. Prices subject to have likely will change by the time you listen to this. Straight plays Quinones plus one fifty half unit. Poirier, Poirier, am I uh, rolling it? Uh, plus one hundred quarter unit. Those are the plays. We'll see. We'll see how we do. Good luck to you. Thank you for the new iTunes review that we just got in. Uh, you know, I think I actually have that pulled up, so I, I will shout that person out. At MMAFan27. Um, oh, I hate reading compliments about myself. Here we go, because you wrote it. I'll take the time to read it. Uh, Dan Tom is the man. I super enjoy his detailed analysis of fighters and their stylistic tendencies, all while having a beer most cases. Oh, my God. <laughs> If, you know, it's funny. I actually haven't been having a beer. Like I said, the, I think I might have said it or I imagined it because I'm lack of sleep. But uh, I went uh, most of October without having a beer. Yay. It's just it's sleep deprivation and retardation is actually what what you're hearing, not drunkness, folks. But no, thank you. Uh, having a beer in most cases. If you are a Sorry, back on the review. If you are a fight nerd and want to learn more about fighting from a guy who knows how to break down the action, he doesn't type it as disjointed as I'm reading it, by the way. Uh, this is a show for you. Thank you, sir, for that five-star review uh, and 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 uh, rating. That that really that really means a lot, man. It really does. Again, the shout-outs, tags, uh, more than any kind of click-through monetary BS. Like that shit means more to me. I don't want to complain, especially doing something that I fucking love. I really do, but. I'm not gonna lie. The lack of lack of time off over these last couple of years covering this UFC schedule, the easy seventy to eighty hour work weeks, um, really been catching up on your boy. Uh, like really bad uh, health wise. I mean, like not just preference. I mean, like yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's sad. I'm, I'm catching up on Stranger Things right now, and I can't even. Not only can I not watch it, like I'm telling like my girlfriend, like you know, like like the wounded person in the movie, like ah, go ahead, no, I'm not gonna leave without you. It's too late for me. Go, like, <laughs> like I feel that way because I can't. I, I just I literally don't even have enough free time to 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 recreationally watch or follow shows. So when you guys reach out and just even say some kind words and stuff like that, that shit means means a lot. I. I hate reading compliments or saying compliments. I'm, I'm the worst at taking compliments. But, yeah, I'm not going to lie. As far as gesture and the spirit uh, of all that stuff goes, that that, that, that means a lot. Um, and and don't, do, don't just do it for me. There's a lot of people out there that are 
bust their ass. Especially, I don't even want to complain the people that are on the road. You know, we had, you know, we had we had buckled like we said, but we also had Anik, who I was selfish asking questions like, "Hey man, what's a mantra? How to stay it?" You know, he's like, "Turn the page, turn the page," and which 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 spoke volume to me because the, the tweet I had pinned on my profile for most of the week was something I tweeted out after UFC 217. Where I was like, it "Sucks, man. I want to talk about an awesome card." But with the schedule, I have to go, you know, go to Norfolk, and you know, of course, my classic gif of Tyler Durden in the in the film splicing room, which is how I perpetually feel. But um, but it's true, and hearing these guys' struggle, kind of commiserating on a professional level like that, really, you know, it, that helps too. That definitely helps too. So again, I don't want to complain and come off, but I do want to thank that. Thank you for doing that, and and remind you that there are plenty of people that just literally dedicate their lives it's not easy you know oh you know people you this or you were a fighter or this or that by the way the you were the fighter thing not applying that toward me i'm talking about other people <laughs> more so that one whatever the criticism you want to conjure in other words this fucking there's no luck in hard work let me just tell you that so um those that out there grinding you know these past two years my goodness may have brought my respect up for you uh, whether you're listening or not, whoever you are, you, the grinders in this community, my goodness, do I respect you. Podcasters, all y'all like, you don't have to be anybody popular. Um, there are plenty of grinders in this industry, and I respect you all. Especially you that have sat through this that I'm going to wrap up now. Uh, we'll get, probably not do a post-fight, because again, it's back-to-back week, so I'll probably see y'all next week. Um... So until then, good luck on your picks in UFC Norfolk. Uh, try to stay out of the upside down. Get enough sleep so you don't feel like you're perpetually in the upside down. I'm doing this strange things reference. Sorry about that. And uh, if you see any strange things, you know, wave down a McGruff truck. Do they have that? I don't fucking know. Get the fuck out of here. Thank you for listening. Until next time, protect your mind.